This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The young shining cuckoo is fed by its foster parents on insects and spiders. But the korimako, or bellbird, has a much more interesting diet of nectar. It's been something of a radio personality and has sung on shortwave radio to Australia and the Pacific nations for 30 years. However, the early recordings failed to reflect the versatility of the bellbird, with its wide variety of liquid notes and artistically placed clicks and bell-like sounds. It's not surprising that Maori mythology describes Korimako, the bellbird, as the messenger of Tane, sent to herald the coming of the sun. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good day, friends. Welcome to Community or Chaos. You can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz, then going to podcast and going to community or chaos and you can podcast this at the end of the week early next week and you can also podcast anything i've done for the last six months or so today we have with us as our welcome guest ian breeze a concerned electricity user and commentator on the ever-rising price of electricity we wrote an article in the odt new zealand electricery pricing deeply flawed and he's also had a career as a medical doctor, so he probably knows the results of people not having warm homes. Well, why are you concerned about the ever-rising cost of electricity in New Zealand, Ian? Marvin, because in New Zealand, electricity should be the closest thing to a free lunch. As taxpayers, we paid for hydroelectric and geothermal stations. The rain falls from the sky and the geothermal heat doesn't cost anything, yet we are being charged for its energy three times the price of petrol, which is imported from the Middle East, refined and then distributed. It seems crazy and unjust. Well, what happened? When did this start off? What happened in 87 when the Electricity Corporation in New Zealand was established? Um, as a result of Rogernomics and the pursuit of neoliberal economics, um, strategy was to privatise state-owned enterprises, and they became beholden to their shareholders rather than their customers. And that's when the price rise began, and it has risen at twice the price price the level of inflation since then. Well, I was discussing with a couple of people the fact that we both stakeholders expect big profits, but also CEOs expect huge profits. And even when they fail, they get golden handshakes. And uh, one man said that if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys, where another person had another and he said that if you load the trough, you get hogs. 
<laughs> That's what's happened to electricity? Certainly, um, huge salaries are being paid uh, to retired politicians. Tony Ryle, I think, is now the CEO of Transpower, and I'm sure he's getting a, a very uh, large salary. And uh, a lot of money is also being squandered on new headquarters. Meridian um, has relocated its reasonably new headquarters that were outside Twizel into the centre of Twizel uh, at a huge cost to the consumers. Well, do they try to lower the prices? I mean, actually, I've heard rumours. I think it was the uh, actually the Commerce Commission uh, criticised one of the power companies for manipulating lake levels so they would increase their their amount of money they got. Well, the Commerce Commission um, employed a professor from Stanford University, Professor Wolak, to investigate the electricity pricing scenario, and he revealed um, exploitation, which was was also revealed by an independent study from Auckland University. And even though it was the Commerce Commission who commissioned that um, investigation and it revealed exploitation, they did nothing about it. Um, the public have been placated by the notion that the Commerce Commission is the watchdog who is going to maintain fairness in the electricity industry, and that is simply not happening. Isn't that one of the things that's happened with regulation in good parts of the Western world, especially the English-speaking world? The regulators often seem to be more regulated by the people they're supposed to regulate than the public. Yes, I think I think that's right. Although I think in New Zealand the the rise of in price of electricity has been much steeper than our peer countries, even though they have gone through similar electricity reforms. Many of uh, New Zealand's homes are cold and aren't well insulated. How do you feel when you hear of people having their electricity cut off because they can't afford to pay the cost of electricity? I feel appalled because the minimum healthy indoor temperature, according to the WHO, is 18 degrees centigrade or 20 degrees centigrade for infants, the elderly, and people with health problems. Cold houses cause not only misery but also ill health, especially respiratory infections, possibly leading to afford avoidable hospitalisation. If you look at the big picture, the additional health costs um, could well mean that the system would be cheaper if electricity was discounted. Furthermore, um, because people are poor because of their high electricity bills. They can't afford to buy healthy food and they get ill for that reason as well. It's estimated that 25% of people overall and 40% of people in the South suffer from energy poverty which occurs when you spend more than 10% of your income on electricity. Is this all related to poverty in New Zealand and the the economics? 
we've been doing since the late 80s. Another factor is that our homes, particularly social housings, were built during an era of cheaper electricity and were kept warm with electric heaters rather than insulation. Another feature that makes New Zealand houses cold is that they have more windows than most other countries. A square metre of single glazed window loses as much heat as 10 square metres of wall. Even a square metre of double glazed window loses as much heat as 6 square metres of wall. Instead, many houses resort to unflued gas heaters and emit 2 kilograms of water for every kilogram of gas they burn, giving rise to dampness. Well, what's it? When you were a doctor, did you see poor results when people, particularly older people and young children, didn't get a dry, warm house? I was a surgeon, and so I was not really dealing with respiratory problems or paediatric problems, so I wasn't directly involved. Okay. But in your opinion, would it severely affect health? Absolutely, yes. Yes. As they say, cold kills the old, but not only the old, the infants and people with other health problems. I myself, at the beginning of last year, spent 55 days in ICU with an infection of my tonsil, which spread to my chest, which I'm sure was as a result of cold exposure. How is the high cost of electricity affecting New Zealand's industry, other industries, and their ability to compete with other countries? Well, we're certainly at a disadvantage. Electricity for industry is a quarter of the price in our Australian counterparts, even though most of theirs is more expensive to generate as it comes from fossil fuels. So this has been known to jeopardise the future of the Fokatani board mill and also cut production of New Zealand steel at the very time we need steel for construction. There is also a risk that industry will relocate to Australia and end up having a higher carbon footprint. Uh, Some people are actually looking again, not necessarily the politicians, but some people are looking again at the user-paid commercial basis for our public service, i.e. the Wellington City Council, who actually do have politicians, are calling for public transport to be publicly owned and operated again. What are your thoughts on this subject? Well, I certainly support the process of making public transport free or so cheap it encourages usage. In Dunedin, it has been proposed by one of our city councillors that students are each charged an annual fee built into their registration as a bulk billing that entitles them to free bus travel. And that would encourage more usage of the buses, take cars off the road, um, minimise parking problems. It's a win-win. Do you think that we... This government has more political support than any government, Labour government we've had for, oh, since um, Norman Kirk, really. Shouldn't they be looking at neoliberal economics and the idea that maybe the public service has a place to serve the public and we should reconsider some of the directions we've gone? 
Um, well, what we need to do is decarbonise transport by substituting electricity. And it's axiomatic that for this to happen, electricity needs to become affordable, not three times the price of petrol at present. Or the, can you make it affordable and still pay CEOs huge awards and pay stockholders? No, you, you can't. And um, I don't think um, a CEO has a vital role in most of these organisations. I think um, they've been set up and they just tick along. And uh, I, I suspect there is minimal intervention on a day-by-day -day basis from a CEO. And... Uh, should it be stockholders or the public that the electricity is really responsible to? It certainly should be to the public. It's the public who, as taxpayers, paid for the infrastructure, um, and they should now be reaping the rewards. Well, why aren't solar panels more commonly used? And has the government do, done everything they can to make solar panels affordable for uh, average users? Um, one problem is that unless you have battery storage, which is expensive, you have to use the electricity while the sun is shining, and a lot of people can't because they're at work. I think as more people get electric cars, they will charge them by photovoltaic panels, which have become cheaper and more efficient, largely thanks to manufacture in China. Should the solar panels be subsidised to certain extent if it will help the electricity grid? Yes, I think they should be. And with electric power being on a commercial user-paid basis, as more people get off the grid, will electricity get more expensive for those who cannot afford to get off the grid so electricity becomes even more unaffordable for those who um, can't afford electric panels and other off the grid? I'm not sure that a lot, of, lot more people are going to get off the grid or want to get off the grid um, because most people are spending about 3% of their total household income on electricity, and they can afford that. And to go off the, off the grid is, to a certain extent, a leap, leap into the unknown. Um, okay. But um, if people do go off the grid and the pool of users shrinks then the way to prevent them from being overcharged is to reduce the unit price of electricity and then index it to the CPI. How do we encourage politicians to make a, take a hard look at this? By lobbying them. Um, I've written to the Minister of Energy, Megan Woods, uh, Unfortunately, I got, all I got was an acknowledgement that she would read my letter, but she hasn't replied. Um, so, um, and I think they need to um, recognise an idea advanced by respected Wellington economist Jeff Bertram, which is that we charge the hydro companies for the water passing through their turbines and use that money to rebate the price of electricity. Now, 
probably the reason the politicians don't want to do this is that they would have to bear 35% of the cost of this because the New Zealand government owns a 51% stake in three gen tailors, Meridian, Genesis and Mercury, which together produce 70% of the electricity. So, in truth, this price of electricity is a covert tax. And I don't Isn't this an unfair tax? Because everybody has to use electricity. And if you're living in the South Island, even if you're a superannuant or on the benefit, you still need to keep your house warm. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's an unfair tax. Um, I mean, I don't object to the New Zealand government receiving more tax because I think a lot of New Zealand woes, such as inability to afford a bowel screening program, are because our tax revenue is too low. But the tax needs to be targeted. At present, the electricity price takes a much bigger proportion of low-income people's income than the better off. And I also believe that in regions of New Zealand, such as Westport and Masterton, where the people tend to have lower incomes, they pay more for their electricity. And um, one solution to this would be for them to shop around because the price varies from supplier to supplier and most of them seem to be provided electricity by the major supplier in the area, which is not by often not the cheapest source I, of electricity. I can shop around fairly easily because I use a computer. But often the poorest people find it more difficult to do that. Exactly, yes. The, um, would you advise the government to raise... We have low taxes compared to all of Northern Europe. We have low taxes compared to what we used to. We used to... If you had a very high income, say a million dollars a year, you would pay 60% of that in taxes, and you could afford it. And if you were a corporation, you'd pay corporate tax. And now corporations seem to get away with without paying taxes many times. And wealthy people, they pay 30% of their income at the most, 30, 35. And often they have really good accountants and tax lawyers. Should the government look at the inequality in the way the tax system's working and consider that they really want a good health system, they want a good education system, they want electricity, they want infrastructure, and we have to find ways of of paying for it that's fairer and useful, don't we? We do, and we are. Um, The the second top tax rate is now 39%, but the Labour government has recently introduced a a tier above this, so if you're earning more than 150000 a year, the tax rate is 40-something percent. I think it might be 45 percent. So they are moving in the right direction. But what they also need to do is introduce a capital gains tax because the average farm in New Zealand is worth $6 million and it's increasing in value by 9 percent per annum. So the average farmer's wealth is increasing by about $550,000 a year tax-free. A lot of these farms are debt-free. They've been in the family for several generations. 
and they are really creaming it. Okay, what else would you do to for electricity in New Zealand? To for electricity in New Zealand. Um, do we need to re to improve our infrastructure and plan for the future? What do you, what do you think of the Labour's plans for the onslow of pumping uh, works? I I oppose the idea. Um, I think it's a very expensive solution for something that might happen only once every 10 years. And um, Lake Onslow is a long way from the um, centre of consumption, which is north of Hamilton. So a lot of that electricity would be lost in transmission. And furthermore, it's in a seismically unstable zone. Um, If they were to, to... perform a scheme like this, it should be located in the central North Island, close to the centre of consumption. Um, Why aren't they considering that instead of central Otago? I don't know. I don't know. Um, another, th- another thing I'm aware that they are doing is they're um, increasing the transmission line from Manapuri to the North Island. Um, because of the soon-to-be-discontinued aluminium smelter, they're doubling the capacity of that transmission line, uh, reinforcing the bases of the pylons with concrete in anticipation of increasing demand for electricity as we move to electric vehicles. Well, that would be a, a huge bonus, really, wouldn't it, for New Zealand? It would be, yes. Yes. Can I play some music and we'll carry on? Certainly. Thank you. 
I need no fruit, I need no rice, I need no sweets, nor even bread. I ask for nothing for myself, for I am dead, for I am dead. All that I ask is that for peace, you work today, you work today, so that the children of the world may live and grow and laugh. We're talking with Ian Breeze about uh, electricity and power in general. And you can podcast by going to oar.org.nz and then going to uh, podcast and going to Community or Chaos on your Google. Now, Ian wanted to talk about uh, the possibility of using nuclear power for electricity globally. And so I thought we'd give him a chance to do that. Ian, you were wondering if there's a global need for more nuclear power. Why would we want... Now, my question is, why would we want nuclear power plants when there are other alternative sources of non-carbon power, such as solar energy, wind and wave power, which are relatively cheaper than nuclear power and much safer? And we have only a little more than a decade worth of nuclear fuel for conventional nuclear reactors, according to Energy Watch, Uranium Report. I think we are um, spellbound by the notion of renewable sources of electricity from wind and solar, but they have very limited potential. At the moment, these renewables only contribute 1.5% to global energy. And energy analyst Robert Bryce contends that simply to keep up with the world's increase in energy needs annually would require turning an area the size of Germany into wind farms every year. And to satisfy the world's energy needs with renewables by 2050 would require windmills and solar panels over an area the size of the US, including Alaska, Mexico, Central America and habitable parts of Canada. So we need to look at an alternative. At the moment, 85% of the world's energy comes from burning fossil fuels. If you combine um, gas, oil and coal, and only 4% from nuclear those figures need to reverse. Nu nuclear has many advantages. Mining for uranium has a much smaller footprint than mining for oil, gas or coal, and the power plants themselves take up much less space than wind or solar. The energy is available around the clock. We talk about capacity factor, which refers to the percentage of output uh, in comparison to the maximum theoretical output and nuclear has a capacity of factor of 90% US coal plants less than 60% and 
and photovoltaics less than 30%. And it has a lower carbon footprint than solar, hydro and biomass and is very safe. We v- very safe? I mean, Fukushima, U- Ukraine, through my island? I mean, when they have an accident, it's quite serious. Well, in 60 years with nuclear power, there have been 31 deaths in Chernobyl in 1986. And that was the result of extraordinary Soviet bungling. There have been a few thousand extra cancer deaths over the expected 100,000 natural cancer deaths in the exposed population. In Three Mile Island in 1979 and Fukushima in 2011, there were no fatalities. I'm um, not sure you could... I think it's a bit early to say there will be no cancer deaths in Fukushima. Well, compared to nuclear per unit of electricity generated, natural gas kills 38% as many, biomass 63% as many, petroleum 243% as many, and coal 387 as many. If we use conventional nuclear power plants, we'll soon run out of uranium. Um... There are alternatives to uranium. We can use thorium, which has the advantage of being very abundant and it's also less weaponizable. Um, France constructed 56 reactors in just 12 years, supplying 77% of French electricity at the lowest cost in Europe and is the world's largest electricity exporter. It shut down its last coal-fired plant in 2004 and its CO2 per capita is a third of that of the US. Building nuclear power plants is expensive but no more expensive than a coal-fired power plant if you combine the cost of carbon capture and storage. Thereafter operation is cheap. They've estimated that we probably have enough nuclear fuel for 10 years, and plutonium has a half-life of 24,000 years and could make life on Earth for the human population marginal for many millennia. A lot of scientists have real doubts about how how you deal with nuclear waste. Well, um, high-level waste, which is the spent reactor fuel and byproducts from reprocessing, constitutes 99% of the radioactivity. The rest, which is high volume, emits low, little radiation. Now, according to the IAEA, since the beginning of the industry 60 years ago, the world's 400-plus nuclear plants have produced about 300,000 tonnes of high-level waste increasing by 12,000 tonnes per year. This is 160,000 cubic yards, enough to cover a football field 25 metres deep. It wouldn't be an overwhelming problem to encase this in glass and leave it deep underground. So I think disposal of nuclear waste can be accomplished safely. What about do, what about other avenues? Fritz, wave power, and later on, uh, solar energy from satellites. But 
right now wave power is something they're working on seriously. And waves aren't like uh, wind, it's always available. I'm not convinced it's cost effective, it's unproven. The marine environment is a very harsh environment. Um, you know, nuclear is, is a proven um, method of providing electricity. We don't have time to experiment with wave power. Um, we need to follow the French example. The French use just two different models of power station, and they say in France they've got two power stations and a thousand different cheeses. In the US, it's the opposite. They have two cheeses and lots of different designs of power plant, and that might contribute to their unreliability. You need to perfect a design and stick with it. And um, nuclear power is the second safest in the world. The only form that's safer is hydroelectric. Solar comes close, but nuclear power is safe, and... We have this um, attitude, especially in New Zealand, that opposes nuclear power, which is quite irrational, in my opinion. Well, actually, I think it's quite rational to not have nuclear power in New Zealand because we don't, we aren't going to need it in the foreseeable future. I agree with you. I I'm not proposing that we have nuclear power in New Zealand for three reasons. One is we are too small and we don't have the scientific capacity to support it. Secondly, we're a seismically unstable country. And thirdly, it's just not PC. Nuclear is not PC in New Zealand. And you will never um, convince the public that it is. And we have uh, more sources than other countries. We do, yes. So what do you say to... So you think the UE, for instance, should promote... What about the idea, the fact that we may run out of conventional uranium? Well, there's always thorium and actinium, and that's being... Are they, what, what kind of reactors do they use? So, uh, they use a similar nuclear fission reactor to uranium. Um, the tragedy is that countries such as Japan and Germany, instead of building more nuclear power stations, they're closing them down. And in the case of Germany, they're getting their electricity from burning lignite. That's very irresponsible. And it's basically because these countries are a democracy. However, France has managed to be a democracy and also be uh, a very successful generator of nuclear power. Now... We don't they also have a problem with the um, fact that they they can be the the plutonium can be used for building nuclear weapons. Yes, um, it can be, but it needs to be carefully managed, securely managed, um, and I don't think that's um, impossible by any means. Well, if you have a stable state like France, it's quite possible. At least I think that France is fairly... Um, I'm wondering about the stability of other states. Though I think we've been quite lucky with the Soviet Union when it fell. We didn't have a... 
I mean, most states have the capability of building nuclear weapons anyway if they wanted to, um, and a lot have gone down that path, beginning with Switzerland and after the Second World War, and uh, decided no, and many other countries have followed suit. But there are probably 50 countries in the world that have the capacity to build nuclear weapons and have chosen not to. So I don't think that's a real consideration. Well, I'm going to play another song and then we'll carry on. Good. I am one more time in light of this setting sun shadows move silently manifest my heaving breath and will we make it all will it break us all Will it carry us away? Carry us away I look around I see our dreams Children laughing so beautiful Just call in the distance, a curtain falls, and will we make it all? Will it break us all? Will it carry us away? Carry us away. Flowers just fragrant love. Seen holy cities, seen open minds. Each forest dreamed of golden pond. And will we make it all? Will it break us all? Will it carry us away?
Hello, friends. We're talking to Ian Breeze about uh, the price of electricity and also the sustainability of power in general. But Ian, I'm no expert on nuclear power, as you can see. And so it may be possible that that needs to be one of our options. Though I'm still somewhat skeptical. But aren't we failing to face one of the big problems with sustainability? I mean, the technical solutions are probably, um, have a price, and in some ways they're short term, most of them. Don't we really have to look at how we use energy and lifestyle. Don't we need to look at how we can build community and live a good life with uh, with less, basically, especially in the, the Western world? Ideally, yes, but... Do we have any choice in the long run? I mean, once climate... I mean, it looks like climate change it's already hitting if you look at the southwest of the United States and their heat. Um, they're having hundreds of people die of heat exhaustion in the southwest of the United States right now. Something that hasn't ever happened before at that, that rate. Um, and we're look, probably looking at sea level rise in many places, including New Zealand. So the question isn't, I mean, the one certainty I think about life, it's always been true, but more so now, is change. And so what kind of change do you want? What kind of direction do you want? And how do you get people to accept change? And how do you make change fair? I agree that we cannot continue with business as usual. But um, the problem is people's lifestyles are addicted to using energy. I was on holiday a while ago at Omarama, and everybody up there on holiday, virtually everybody, their holiday activities involve burning fossil fuels, whether they were boating, whether they were motorcycling, whether they were jet skiing, um, whether they were driving... There were a few exceptions of people cycling, but we are addicted to using fossil fuels. Maybe we have to get rid of that addiction. I mean. And we, that's 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 the problem. I don't think humans are going to be able to change their ways. Well, we do change our ways sometimes. We changed in World War Two for for a good many years. We changed our ways in England, particularly. Yeah. Uh, we're going to face a crisis, and isn't it a question of? Will we change our ways, but when and how? And how can governments and people that are aware make this change easier and more acceptable and fairer? Isn't that the question? That is the question. And um, I think the way to decarbonize our society is with nuclear power. Um, you mean the, the world? The world, not New Zealand, but yes, the world. Um, that's people 
criticise nuclear power, but they don't come up with an alternative, a viable alternative. But I believe that even if you have nuclear power, we still have to change. I think, we, for instance, electric cars uh, use energy and resources whenever you build a car, especially batteries. And we can't. You know, we may have a smaller population in 50 years, but right now, every time we, we can't, the lifestyle we're living is probably unsustainable. We could, for instance, if you had a, an ideal government, which we ain't going to have, probably, you could have really good public transport, including trains, faster trains than now in New Zealand, not, not, not the European variety perhaps, but faster than the present one, more efficient. You could have cheap rental electro, electric cars that people could rent from the government, and no household would need to have more than one car, and many households like in Wellington could do without cars if you had proper systems in place. Now, people wouldn't make as much money selling cars, but so be it. I mean, that's one of the things we could do. There are other things we can do to have good life without the enormous use of resources that we now have. Um, I'm not sure that Cuba's had a good life, but they certainly had to learn to live a life with a good, reasonably good educational system, very good health system, without the resources. Correct. I I'm not suggesting we should follow in their footsteps, but I'm suggesting there are alternatives. There are alternatives, and I'm really heartened by the attitude of young people. When I was a teenager, owning a car was almost a rite of passage. Today's teenagers and adolescents would sooner own a smartphone and travel on the bus than own a car, and I think they're taking a very responsible attitude um, but there has to be a political will for these changes to occur and what government is going to enforce a law that there's one car maximum per household that's a sure way of getting voted out of power so we have this attitude of the public that we have to um, factor in in making these changes but I agree, ideally we should be able to live a life which is less dependent on burning fossil fuels. And isn't it part of the government's responsibility to lead and educate? I'm not saying they should pass draconian laws immediately, but they can give a much greater lead. I mean, this government has more popularity than any government Norman, since Norman Kirk, and they're probably get, they're likely to get re-elected. And they're the next party and the Green Party is doing much better than it was. So they have the possible and Jacinda Ardern is a good communicator. Now doesn't she have the responsibility to communicate in these and use some of her political capital? She does and she is um, but I'm disappointed with just how timid the Labour government have been. Um, they have described themselves as transformational, uh, and we're still waiting for this transformation to happen. Um, they're timid. 
and that needs to change. In the long run, won't they be, if we don't change and we suffer for it, won't the government be somewhat responsible for this? Yes, it will, yes. How do you feel about the young people who uh, climate strike people and so on? Should they be encouraged? Absolutely. It's their future that they can um, see. And the Greta Thunbergs are, um, are championing this movement, and I think it's fantastic. Don't we all need to face climate change? It's it's, we should, shouldn't we be seeing, looking at the common good, not individual good, not tribal good, not my group's good, but the common good and the common humanity of all of this? Ideally, absolutely, but unfortunately, human beings are selfish. And this is what we're up against. Yes, but there are degrees of selfishness. And there are degrees of society looking after the common good. And we've been, we've had a, an economic system that's been pushing selfishness for the, at least the last 40 years, quite successfully. What you need is a government society that pushes unselfishness. True. And I think we also need to capitalise on the current extremely low interest rates. I remember hearing of a passive house design, I think it was in Holland, where the, where the, the house would be more expensive to construct, but it would pay for itself, that extra cost, um, through interest payments in the scale of something like 16 years. But with the current interest rates, that's probably going to be more like eight or four years. And so we should be um, taking advantage of the low interest rates and, and using um, technology to improve our energy efficiency. Isn't this one thing the government can, if they are brave enough, do without having a, the, the community angry. If they provide, if they subsidize and provide the technology and the expertise for insulating houses, for building new houses that are much better at conserving energy. Yes, yes, and the Green Party have done that in the past with, with home insulation. Um, but... You know, this government has been timid. I've been disappointed that they haven't introduced a sugar tax. Um, I heard David Clark, when he was Minister of Health, say that if it needs regulation to reduce sugar consumption, they'll regulate. Well, we're still waiting. There are a number of areas where I feel disappointed with the um, actions of the government. Yeah, part of the problem is we don't have a left-wing government, a left-wing political movement to push them. Um, yes, I, I think so. Yeah. What are your hopes for the future in New Zealand? My hopes are for a more egalitarian society, um, and I also welcome the 
introduction of Te Reo into our language. Um, it's being championed by National Radio, and I, I welcome it. You know, 15% of our population are Maori, and I'd like to see 15% at least of our language. I think that the Maori language is a more beautiful language than English, and when I hear the, the national anthem sung in Maori, it's far more inspiring than when it's sung, sung in English. Well, that's one thing that's easy to... It's, the language is hard, but it's easy to sing the national anthem in Maori. It's singing is one way of expressing uh, to real that for people that aren't necessarily good at language. But it seems to me that if you teach language in school, if you, t- for instance, if most people, young people, children, learn to real, they'll also be able to learn. Uh, more likely to let me learn Japanese or Chinese or French once they learn a second language, a third language may become easier. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I mean, people that resist the idea of it really might be, we might be cutting our nose off to spider face. Yes, I agree, yes. Well, thanks a lot for coming along, and we really enjoyed the discussion. You're, you're welcome. Thanks, and, um, Marvin. Let's hope we can work toward a really sustainable, fairer society. Absolutely. Thank you very much. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.